Well, hello everyone. Welcome to Freedom International live stream. We are very uh, grateful for all of you who've been following us and supporting us. So thank you so much. And for everything that you guys do to help others, to protect yourself, to keep yourself healthy, and then to disseminate truth, then thank you. And I hope we can uh, do the same again for today because we have a special guest who is not really a, a stranger to most of you. Our guest for today is Robert Scott Bell. And with me hosting him are podcasters from around the world who's been my colleagues and friends. And we have gotten to really support each other. And we have Roy Colan. And Roy Colan has the podcast Awakening. And he is in, our, in Poland right now. And we have Chris and from Mind Wars, and he's in London. And we have Steve, who is also a podcaster from um, right now in Asia. Okay. And so, and of course, we have the one and only Robert Scott Bell from the famous Robert Scott Bell Show. So Robert Scott Bell has this empowering program, podcast, TV, YouTube, and he's well known in the media because she, he is a homeopath and has been, um, for me, his popular slogan is the power to heal is yours. And I cannot agree more because I truly believe in that since, um, and if we only remember that, then we maybe we can be so creative, be much more open to a lot of healing principles. And that's what he's been doing. He He's busy traveling, doing lectures online or in person. And Robert, you just came from that, what you call that, the CRT. So how about you, you take us to what you've just been doing lately? Yes, my, my good friend, Jonathan E. Mord, who, who has uh, been battling what we call the bureaucratic oligarchy in Washington, D.C. for decades now, beating back FDA, which I call the Fear and Death Administration, and their disempowering rhetoric in support of a pharmaceutical drug culture in America. Uh, he uh, has uh, uh, also written a book called The Authoritarians recently about the rise of authoritarianism uh, since the 19th century to, to today here in America and probably around the world, we would agree that's happening. And uh, he brought together a number of folks from the D.C. area and even a woman named Barbara from Harlem, who is amazing, a firebrand. She was she was there with her daughter speaking out against the teaching of critical race theory, which is a Marxist collectivist thought that disempowers people of color by telling them that they are oppressed victims and they cannot achieve uh, unless they look at people who have less skin color as oppressors. And so it really takes the uh, individual liberty equation out and also denies the divinity of all of us, no matter how much or how little pigment we have, that the power to heal and create and co-create wonderful things in our life is ours. So uh, it was a pretty empowering event, a little bit maddening to see what's happening to children in schools in America, what they're being taught to hate one another based on skin color. I thought we were past segregation and discrimination like that, but apparently there are people using the Hegelian dialectic to divide us and conquer us even today. So Robert, what else is really good and new? Because you know, all of us have been having this conversation, listening, and sometimes it could really, it's, it seemed to drain us a little bit, but then if we just remember what why we're doing 
this podcast and why we're getting involved with different people from different levels. So what is good and new overall? Well, the, the, the message uh, that you opened with today, uh, the power to heal is yours, is resonating. And I've been at it for almost 30 years and 23 years or so, 22, 23 years in broadcasting, just trying to remind myself each and every hour of my show, much less those that tune in, that the direct connection to the source of all sources, which is God or creator, is something that brings about the resolution we're looking for. It isn't so much having to do battle with people that disagree with us. It's simply recognizing and remembering our divinity and living it. And all of those principles that flow from that, that's the greatest news ever. That's never gone away. It's just that we have so many distractions from that. So many things that uh, are drawing us into battles that I don't believe are totally necessary. Although I truly do believe in the right of self-defense should somebody come after you and do some things that threaten your life, liberty, or property. But the idea is not to get drawn into unnecessary battles that could be harmful to you and others. And this is, again, uh, a, to, it's a question of whether we can remember who we really are and why we're really here. And at that point, you can rise above and beyond it. And I don't say that naively, because I do recognize there are a lot of difficulties and challenges that exist, but have done have existed since the, the, the time this planet began and the people on it. Uh, so it's not something that will go away, but it's a question of whether we can remember who we really are and reconnect with that source and follow those principles. And then uh, by doing so, uplift others, not by force, violence or deception, but by being a living example for those principles. Well, do you think that um, there is a place for people who some, you know, they get really disappointed and they start saying, well, well, if God doesn't want this, if the source doesn't want this, then it should not be happening. So I think we should just let it be. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, there, there is something called the law of non-interference. And that is if somebody is choosing, because the powers of co-creation and freedom to choose are given to us by God. So the things that are happening are happening by our participation, by our co-creation. And even if we don't like it, it isn't a matter of going in and beating up people that <laughs> we don't like what they're doing. It's recognizing our role in, in help, helping to facilitate that reality and finding another path out of it without resorting to the same kind of violence and ignorance and arrogance that they may be uh, uh, manifesting in their own, you know, in their own experience. Uh, so I, I would say that um, the idea that we should just let it be, it has truth. But it, it crosses a line when that let it be of those other folks that are doing these things encroach on our freedom to co-create differently, to create abundance and wonder and, and be loving and, and not living in fear, for instance. And so at that point, we can say that if they cross the line, we have an obligation to defend ourselves and our rights there. Uh, but we don't have to go in and engage them where they are unless they take it to us. Now, there are threats and there are nuances to this discussion and, and everybody may have ideas about how to go about that. Uh, but we recognize, for instance, on the critical race theory issue, I've talked to some of these moms that are in Lowndes County outside of DC, which is like party central for the discussion and debate on what's happening in these schools. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what? We really need to just withdraw from the scholastic system, right? Just stop mm -hmm. participating. But at the same time, many of us who can and do choose to do that would then leave behind a number, significant number of young people whose parents, for whatever reason, cannot or are unable to do that. 
and they're stuck and trapped in a system where they're being taught hatred, for instance. And so when those young people grow up, they are angry young people that could foment violence. And so we can't totally abandon them. So it's not a matter of, I'm just going to let them crumble and, and decay. It's not about that. How do we engage uh, in, a, in a way that is, again, uplifting to the best of our ability? I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that we can't or won't screw up along the way. It's part of our human experience. But I recognize that we can't completely abandon those people that are left behind, but be ready to help them or engage in uh, a, a system that we would like to see dissipate or crumble so that we can build a new system like Buckminster Fuller talked about, making the, the old system obsolete rather than trying to create it anew from within when there's such resistance uh, to that, uh, let's say, alteration. Well, I'm glad you mentioned about that, um, the change, you know, that has to happen and mentioning that, sure, we could create this so-called like parallel education, parallel this, but then what happens to the others? But isn't it also part of our being human being the being part of the hopefully with a celestial human that we have that um we have to go through that um, evolution of determinism then so it it has to come from us so if it doesn't come from us the people like us who are determined to go through that evolution it, it's kind of hard to pull them but i guess we don't have to stop right we just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, now, like, bring us to a little bit of the history. What what does history teaches us, or what does it has taught us, or what do we see that's happened that happened before and is happening again? Yeah, well, the history of humanity and human consciousness is such that we uh, engage in enslavement, we engage in uh, the struggle for freedom, and then those who have become free end up making the same mistakes that the, the the captors had done before it's sort of like if we if we look at the continuity of life beyond one lifetime we begin to see those who were the uh, uh the slave holders become the slaves and vice versa it seems like a never-ending um uh, circle so to speak and there's that point of consciousness when it enters into you and you have enough memory of the disgust that you might have or the testing of the things you've experienced or done or been victimized by and you may decide you know what I don't want to participate in this any longer. And that choice then becomes, I am going to break the cycle of re repetition, the, the, the recycling of the experiences that we've had one, two, 10, a million times. And at that point, and only at that point, are you ready to remove yourself from that cycle of victimhood and victimization? And that's where you become the champion of your own reality and in, in with a God or creator, you co-create a different reality, not because you're forcing it on others or violently, uh, uh, let's say, suppressing the, the freedom of others to do the wrong thing, but by, again, becoming a living example to say, hey, you guys don't have to do that either, but it's up to you to decide that. Thank you. And uh, I, uh, the, the statement that reminded me is like unity in diversity or just that diversity just as we always talk about biodiversity in mm -hmm. our system there you know in the terrain so i think that's how we have to look at it also but thank you for being here and i'm going to pass it on to roy because all of us have wonderful um would really like to get engaged with you so roy yes. thanks chris uh, hi robert um 
like I'm looking at everything that's gone on for the last year and a half, and I think a lot of people are throwing in the towel because you know they're hearing about all these different court cases that are going on, all these kind of whistleblowers, and like I I look at it as being like a a, a cog uh, of a watch. Every single thing has <clears throat> its purpose, and I believe it's like the journalism is what's actually the main problem because they're instilling fear with everybody. So mm -hmm. I I believe that it's like attack the journalists, as in the ones that are spreading the lies. Because if we can take that cog out, the whole thing falls apart. And just curious much. Yeah, Roy, it's part of the grand illusion, as you know. And I, I went into broadcast media in 1999 to be, you know, someone that could report on things that I wasn't hearing being reported on, you know, about our history, for instance, the medical history of America that I didn't know until I learned it and, and you know, was able to overcome so many ailments that the medical profession could not help me to do. And, and I thought, well, okay, the First Amendment here in America, this idea of freedom of the press is something that I believed in so strongly, as well as freedom of religion, that I thought, you know, I could take a healing ministry out through the press, right? This idea of taking the First Amendment and pushing it for all that it's worth. And yet we see so much of the, uh, the media around the world becoming corporatized and controlled. And the attacks on journalists have been just horrific uh, as far as what we've seen. Those who have spoken out have been threatened, deplatformed, um, any number of attacks that have gone on to them. In fact, now we've seen that many of my friends that are on this disinformation dozen that came out of the, the Center for Digital Hate, turns out that was a complete scam they said that they were responsible for 65 to 75% of the misinformation on social media. Now, who defines what misinformation is? Of course, that's another problem. But when Facebook did its analysis of these 12 so-called dirty dozen or disinfo dozen, it find them responsible for less than half a percent of all that the digital hate people said, or this one guy in England said. And yet, again, they don't define what is misinformation even in that half percent. So the hypnosis that happens through what we call now corporate media is such that it it, it 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 transforms the belief system or grabs the belief system of the people that may be the majority, maybe uh, maybe not a majority, maybe it's close to, to a tipping point, that their very belief in all that the media portrays reality to be is only is the only thing holding it together, despite the whistleblowers, despite those that are speaking out, uh, whether they're in government, media, or medicine, trying to make a difference here. And so it's very much, you know, the tipping point is that the moment enough of us no longer believe the, the artificial reality that they've induced us to believe, then the illusion crumbles almost instantaneously. And then we look back and we don't see all of the years and decades, in fact, it took us to get here when it kind of happens with a snap of a finger. And I'm not, I've never been one to predict when that occurs, but we do see a number of tipping points in a number of arenas. I talked about over the years, the danger of the vaccination campaigns well before there was the synthetic mRNA technology to alter DNA protein synthesis, which is not a vaccine, it's gene therapy. And their push, their desperate push on this COVID jab scenario has accelerated awareness into people that never thought they would have anything, any consideration about vaccines one way or another, except to be for them, or maybe they didn't have a dog in the fight. We couldn't, with all of our efforts over many decades, really move the needle much at all. One, two or 3% of the population ever questioned the vaccine paradigm. Now it can be argued upwards of 20, 30, 40, 50 or more percent, depending on the demographic you're in. And particularly people of color in America 
have a lot of questions more so than any other group other than the PhD researchers that are questioning and don't want the jab, which tells you a lot about the science or lack thereof uh, regarding that. Now, I've gone to a lot of places, Roy, with what you kind of stimulated me to be thinking about. Uh, so please do a follow up and make sure we're, we're on track for your question to be answered. Yeah, I, I mean, basically, what, like what I'm suggesting is that we go after the the ones that are spreading the wrong information. Like I see it in in Ireland in the in the radio channel, they're just putting up pure fake information. I mean, we know there's like I'm I don't have a medical background, and yet I I have more faith in myself that if I get any disease than going into any hospital. And yeah. I think that if I see a journalist or anything, like what I've noticed is if you put a comment in, you know, basically calling them out, it can be removed. So now it's like putting in a, a, a laughing face because they can't remove that. And if somebody sees a post and there's 50 people laughing, it might kind of make them think, why is there people laughing at this? Because that's kind of showing, hey, this is a yeah. joke. Yeah, it's the child who points out that the emperor is butt naked and ugly. You know, this, this is the thing, the consciousness shift that happens, it takes one child, right? One innocent child to point it out. And then suddenly everybody begins to see and have the courage to see. And, you know, we're in the midst of that difficulty that those of us who can see the emperor wears no clothes still apparently in the vast minority, but it's, it's rapidly accelerating in terms of the awareness and the people seeing what we see. Uh, but along the way, it's not comfortable. It's not nice. The things that are occurring, but I agree, I agree with you too. the, uh, those that are in the media, some of them are are hitting their limits. Doctors are hitting their limits. Nurses are hitting their limits and starting to walk away from this thing as uncomfortable it is for them to risk losing their entire career and livelihood. But the discomfort is rising and it takes that. You know, how many people were coming to me as a homeopath here in America before they were diagnosed with cancer? Right. And then the doctor said, we got nothing for you. It was like a last resort to the point where people begin to say, hey, you know, I can see A, B leads to C and D. I better start now so that the cancer diagnosis never happens. But for most of us in humanity, it takes a crisis or great levels of discomfort or fear induction machinery to finally go, I'm uncomfortable enough to see through it, to make changes. And yeah, it's going to change everything I know about the world around me and my life and what I thought life was about. So it's not small, these people having to come to these, these places and spaces to finally join us in this journey back to sanity and back to our spiritual connection to one another, much less that which created us all. Uh, but it is happening. And it's and unfortunately, it's designed this way, perhaps, but it's the choices that we make in our consciousness, that freedom that we're given, that make us so reluctant to move until it's absolutely to the boiling point. And then suddenly, oh, okay, now I'll move. Hopefully it's not too late for some, as we know it is. I've lost friends and family members and loved ones around the world and around the country here in the United States to this even people who knew better and, and yet they were trapped in a medical system that basically either tricked them or kept them from having advocates or allies to come in with them. And they were basically, I would argue, murdered at this point. We're losing a lot of people to what we call the now the new killing fields in hospitals around the world that, that would deny even allopathic treatments that work like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and other things. Even as I'm not a big fan of those drugs, they're far less toxic than most drugs on the market. It's not even close. And they are showing clinical efficacy. And there are doctors brave enough to speak out, yet they are relegated to uh, you know, a status of sometime less than. They were heroes last year. Now they're pariahs this year. And a lot of people are seeing through it more so than ever. Now, I know in Ireland, uh, there are a lot of challenges 
that you're you're going through. Uh, and it may be a little bit more sluggish in terms of recovery for whatever reason. But I come back to this authoritarian warship. We are still, as a species, subject to authoritarianism. To look at people with white lab coats and stethoscopes or to look into religious teachings and the, the authorities there like the Pope and others that have been corrupted by the pharmaceutical church. And we still follow their edicts because we've been kind of programmed into that. So we're having to grow up and mature beyond authoritarianism and recognize, as you said, Roy, you don't have to have a medical degree. In fact, it helps that you don't to be able to see through the things that don't make sense because they don't make sense. But we put that aside in cognitive dissonance because, well, the authoritarians or the authorities say, I'm wrong. They're the ones that are smart. They have the degrees. They have the connection. And so we're asked to be a little bit more mature and recognize, once again, we started with this, our connection to the divine, our divinity, so that we will not be deceived by mental constructs that didn't denigrate us and our connection to the most divine, that gives us insight that no medical degree, no degree from any university can exceed or go beyond. They're the ones that are limited at the top of the mental plane. And you're going back to spirit and now you have a connection that's way deeper. And that's what they're afraid of because they want to be worshiped. They want to be revered. They want to be feared. And when you no longer fear them, as you pointed out, by laughing at them, that may be the most potent way to take that power from them, not by violently taking it from them, but just pointing out how silly and how absurd, maybe even, dare I say the word stupid or moronic they are. But laughing is a wonderful tool, a wonderful way to get there when everything else is botted out, yet they're not botting out the laughter. Yeah, excellent. And like I know that all of you know the World Health Organization, the economic, the whole lot have been infiltrated. The EU, everything's been infiltrated. But we've got a load of these people, and I know you've had a load of famous people on your show. We've had loads of famous people, and there's loads of people so-called doing the fight. But we're after copying that some of these are having the symbolism. They're showing symbolism, which means that they look like they're a plant to make people distracted, so divide and conquer. And I'm just curious, have you spotted that yourself? Well, yeah, the Hegelian dialectic is alive and well. That's, you know, Jonathan Emer's book is based on that concept of Hegel and what he set up, this idea of uh, synthesis coming from what? Uh, thesis, antithesis, problem, reaction, solution, manipulating society, manipulating individuals within society to separate and divide and realize, or let's say not realize, but believe this artificial creation of division to never acknowledge our similarity, our commonality, our common goals, our common needs, the things that we would, if we were in a community together, it would be in our best interest. And obviously we would say, well, of course, work together. We might disagree on many things, but what do we have in common? But to keep us from looking at what we have in common has been an effective means by which they have controlled the population of the planet. And of course, in Ireland, you know, you know it very well by being there, but we're seeing it in the United States. We're seeing horrific scenarios manifest in Australia and New Zealand right now that, I, I, you know, I was pointing out uh, with my producer today talking about, you know, the, this is the kind of thing the United States would normally or even the UN might say, we need to have sanctions on, you know, name the country when they treat their citizens the way they're treating them in Australia right now, shooting them with rubber, rubber bullets for gathering together to protest oppressive government uh, mandates, uh, prohibitions, edicts, et cetera. And yet not a word from the UN or the United States on 
the outrageous behavior of the governments of, uh, you know, I would even say Canada to some degree, uh, much less uh, New Zealand and uh, Australia now. So we realize that the hypocrisy is bleeding to the surface. So many people, if I can see it, other people can see it too. And we start going, wait a second, isn't this the stuff we used to sanction? We used to say, we're going to threaten to invade you if you do this to your people. And it's happening in Western style democracies. So I don't think it has a long life cycle to go at this point before people realize, like even in Australia, how uncomfortable it is to get to that point, but to be willing to put their lives on the line to gain their freedom back, that if you lose it to the degree that it's been lost in countries that have given up their right to self-defense, they are now witnessing the reason why there was a Second Amendment, is a Second Amendment written into the Constitution in the United States. It wasn't for hunting. It wasn't for petty criminals trying to take your property. It was always about governments becoming tyrannical forces for what? Enslavement of the people. This is not new. Again, this is historically accurate, but not everybody outside of America understood that until recently. And many people in America have lost sight of that and are now, as they look at Australia, going, oh, that's what it was. As I've been hearing from people all over the world writing into my show, it's like, oh, I thought you Americans were so gun crazy. I never understood what it was. And they see what's happening now and they say, I understand now what your founders meant. And why they thought it was so important and like where where i was kind of that was very relevant what you just said but like people that are fighting the fight like us like yourself right you have your show i have noticed that and there's even some of the come together and they're in different organizations they're using symbols that are in the satanic thing and they've even done it on the show where they're actually showing the symbols so it doesn't you don't do that by mistake mm-hmm. and it's like I'm. What I'm saying is, there's so many millions of people following this person, thinking they're going to save them, but it looks like they're being put in place to just distract us. Well, yeah, that's another part of the the, the psychological operation or psyops is to create uh, little what they call them political saviors or otherwise, and and that you know we fall prey to that because many uh, from the various Orthodox religions have already been taught that there is a savior. And so they wrongly take that concept from a spiritual or religious perspective, and they allow the authoritarians to play that vulnerability, that belief system, and modify it slightly, but enough that they begin to look politically for saviors or medically for saviors. And so we're very vulnerable to always look at, hey, this guy's got this technique and he's doing this through the courts, and let's all put our efforts in there. And to some degree or to a large degree, it might have been a controlled opposition scenario to distract us to uh, rob us of our resources, our energy, our time, and thinking, oh, this is going to be the thing. When really the thing has always been to reconnect to our divinity, bottom line. And that would direct us through the, you know, navigate us through the the minefields of these so-called false prophets, whether they be in religion or politics or medicine. Because if if it's the media driving it or the so-called controlled opposition psychological operation folks, they know our vulnerability better than sometimes we know our vulnerability. And that's how they play it out through this dialectic. And that is, again, something we're asking ourselves and each other. We must mature beyond the manipulation. But it means we must reconnect and practice that connection every day with the spirit, divine spirit, Holy Spirit, whatever you call it. That connection from source that's beyond the mental constructs, beyond the political divide, all of that. And that's the biggest struggle because it is truly a spiritual struggle. And that is also the design of this planet and everything on it to get us there. And that's why the discomfort occurs. 
to realize, man, it is a false uh, teaching to look outside of ourselves for that connection. We must go within or deeply connect through the spiritual practices so that we aren't deceived and manipulated. And as long as we have a body and a mind in this, in this plane of existence, we are vulnerable when we don't practice that presence all of the time. And so that's a big difference in, as far as a, a discussion point, because it takes us out of just the political realm where everything is pretty intense and draws us in so well and, and appropriately to some degree. Uh, man, we are asked to become masters where we have been neophytes. And it's a challenge, I acknowledge. And I don't claim to be beyond all of these struggles myself, but I've recognized having gone through this for so long that every time I fall prey to this idea of a political savior, it's like, I got to catch myself again. Uh, don't fall for it. You know, we had in America a, a great man, he's still alive, thankfully, uh, who woke up a lot of people politically and principally by the name of Ron Paul. Yet, even if he became president through his three uh, election runs, it wouldn't have changed the fact that there are power structures that would do everything like they did for some of the good that Trump tried to do. And I don't think Trump was anything like a statesman like Ron Paul. But the sabotage that would ensue and did ensue before even Ron Paul could become elected, uh, you know, was was another wake up call to say, yes, he woke us up politically to certain principles. But it doesn't mean he, the man or any other man or woman that would run for office is going to be the one to save us. We must regain our senses and recognize the true origin of power and withdraw the power we give to those lesser, if you will, collectives or lesser organizations, be it political or otherwise. Excellent. Perfect. Listen, Robert, thank you very much. I'll pass you on to Chris of Mind Wars. Cheers, right? Um, Robert, how are you doing? And I wanted to get started on a small bit of the cancer situation. But um, before that, I would agree with Roy. It's a good remedy to laugh in the face of evil. And I've always done it for many, yeah. many years. And often people said, you know, how would you do it? Because seven days a week, you've been researching, research, and a lot of it is negative doom and gloom, and it's supposed to bring it down. I don't really have the answer as to overall as to how I deal with it, but I just, it's like water off a duck's back. I, you know, research stuff for years and years and years and get on with it and, and you know, how the world works, et cetera, et cetera, and all that. But um, uh, the cancer situation, I know you've covered uh, an awful amount on. Um, and I want to ask, it's actually about a family member. And they had they got their prostate out a couple of years back. So mm. the thing I can't figure out, and I've been to a lot of people since, was I need to know if we're getting the right answers, wrong answers. But everything's okay. No problems now. We got it removed about five years ago. But in the last two years, you know, go back for normal uh, PSA and blood tests and uh, bone tests and so on and so on. But now they've been told in the last two years by the doctor, um, basically to get this hormone injection and this hormone injection, you have to get it every six months. So currently now there's four I know that have been done. They're about 700 and something euros, but because of whatever other reason you can get discounts and so on and so on. And I've told them that, and I'm obviously like Ryan, not a medical background, but I even knew myself as like, I don't have all the answers to that, but I know stay well away from what it is. Can you tell me or what your research on that is? What is that? What do the doctors perceive it to think that you're actually, that this is allegedly doing for you? That obviously is not because everything yeah. is an inversion with these people. Uh, and what kind of effect is that having, you know, consistently on the body? He has been, shall we say, on the outside, everything is okay. A friend of his got it. And literally most nights of the week, he would wake up about two in the morning, severe sweats in the bed. He doesn't go through that, but apparently everybody suffers from it it's a bit differently. And he gets it. The only thing that might affect him is he might feel a bit drowsy in the evenings, but that's it. What what is your take on all that? Give us the good, well, bad, and in between. 
<laughs> Chris, <laughs> not you much know, one good, the, I would say. <laughs> well, what one of the things in my wake up call over the years, you know, I was grown or raised pharmaceutically and medically. You know, I've had medical doctors in my family. My dad was a pharmaceutical guy, and you know, I had to really overcome a lot of uh, uh, misinformation and disinformation. The irony, of course, coming from the authorities. And, you know, one of the things I saw, uh, women with menstrual difficulties, they were driven through the OBGYNs to eventually remove their ovaries and their uterus, you know, total radical hysterectomies because of this. And, and I always said to women, please hold on to your body parts, right? God didn't make a mistake. It's not your body part that's wrong. It's what we're doing uh, or not doing in the care of our bodies that's manifesting as, uh, you know, aberrant function or growths and other things. And for men, I thought we would be a little bit more uh, uh, cautious before we would allow anybody to take parts of our body out. And for the most part, we have been. And, and so I say, men, now I have to tell you to hold on to your body parts. Of course, most men don't mind holding on to their body parts, but in some cases, they, they, they trick you with this prostate test, PSA. It's just called the prostate-specific antigen test. The irony, of course, how can it be specific to the prostate if women could test uh, PSA and, and score on their uh, PSA when they don't have a prostate. I guess you can identify as a woman with a prostate now. I guess this is the crazy world we live in. <laughs> but the idea of a PSA test rising is always, uh, once I learned about the mineral deficiencies in evidence, uh, uh, you know, due to, uh, well, that result in the prostate issue. Anytime a PSA is high, it, it's, it's corresponding inversely to selenium levels. So if you have a high PSA, it typically means you have very low selenium levels and selenium is the great protector of all minerals of so many things, including, you know, cancer against cancer about pretty much all cancers, but specifically in this case of the prostate. Now, in the case of uh, your family member, if they've already lost their prostate and now they're wanting to do hormone injections, it's because they recognize that the prostate plays an important role in terms of maleness, right? And, and another aspect of, of men that have uh, prostate type surgery or they radiate, they seed it out and destroy it is men are never men again. It really destroys uh, manhood in so many ways. And that is deflating, let's just say it, no pun intended, uh, to what makes men men. And I know it's a bigger issue than this, but uh, I will say that the hormone injections uh, are just, uh, let's say, a, another level of a, a Band-Aid scenario or theology in medicine that try to alter things from an external source, completely ignoring the internal terrain or milieu that I would look to work with both minerally and also in the role of uh, normal endocrine function and production. Uh, one of the things we've been taught wrongly, of course, is the fear of fat and cholesterol, in fact, because cholesterol is critical for the production of our youth hormones, that being even in men, estrogen, progesterone and testosterone, obviously less estrogen and progesterone in, in, in men than women, but even women have testosterone. And these are all re requiring cholesterol, which is, you know, critical for the liver, critical for brain and neurological health, critical for all endocrine health and function. So many of these men are also uh, have been put on statin medications for years, sometimes decades before the prostate goes bad, among other things, including their minds, because by lowering cholesterol, you, you, basically uh, facilitate the accelerated uh, development of things like dementia and Alzheimer's as such. Uh, so working with someone more holistically in terms of addressing endocrine function 
may be as simple as getting key minerals back in, getting the digestive system functioning again from a pre and probiotic perspective or the lining that has been inflamed, which I've lectured on for many years, how to correct that. It's in, in fact, a whole chapter on the book I wrote with my buddy Ty Bollinger, Unlock the Power to Heal. That chapter for restoring the gut is free for everybody all over the world at my website, robertscottbell.com. I don't even require you to sign up for email, uh, which I should. It's stupid of me, but uh, I'm more interested in getting people well and healing than I am of collecting email addresses. So if you come over to robertscottbell.com, you can scroll down on the side. It says looking for the, the gut recovery, silver aloe protocol for gut recovery. And that chapter, you can click, you'll immediately have the PDF. And again, I know it's a long-winded answer to a prostate-specific question even though there's not a prostate specific antigen test in reality, that's a phony test, uh, but it is coming back to the gut and how digestion impaired results in any potential diagnosis. Re restored, all healing again becomes possible, that along with the liver function and liver health. So if I missed anything in, in response to your question, which was very specific, please, we can do follow up here as well. Yeah, no, that was good. Um, obviously, you know, he's not going to listen to myself because I don't come from a medical background. I don't wear the white coat and all the rest, mm -hmm. you know, so I don't have like a seven years of a degree, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm not indoctrinated enough. And um, the problem is, you know, he feels, well, well, what's the solution? Like, I can't, if the doctor tells me, yeah. of course, I have to get and I just stop it. He's one, I don't have the answer. If he was to obviously stop that, you know, I think the next might be in three or four months time if he's going to get it. Um what's the worst can happen to your actual body by stopping that alone? And even if you were to do nothing at all, any remedies, um, what, what, what would be the cause or what would happen to you? Well, look, we, we go into these uh, urologists, the prostate doctors, and we say, all right, you know, why are you prescribing this medication for me, the synthetic hormone, whatever? And they'll tell you a laundry list of reasons. And they say, so you say, if I stop this and all of those things will manifest. And then they'll say, well, maybe, maybe not. We don't know for sure. And so I look at, all right, what are the symptoms that this individual, your family member is experiencing? Because as, as you know, it manifests differently in everyone. And we say, well, let's address those symptoms in a different manner via the use of, of different herbs or minerals, or in the case of me as a homeopath, it's not that difficult to assess, hey, these symptoms kind of match up to these particular remedies and we can at least alleviate or minimize some of the discomfort now we can't replace the prostate. That's a choice he made because he believed in the authoritarians of, of the medical uh, doctorships. And, and yet if he had listened to you, the not doctor, he would still have his prostate. You know, I don't know if you want to rub that in, uh, but that's, that's another truism. That's just a sad irony that the experts are uh, willing to mutilate humans, men and women alike, when there is not uh, uh, really a functional reason to do so, except, to, uh, you know, question what are the reasons this happened? And we come back to mineral deficiencies, digestive disorders, liver congestion, on and on it goes. But none of that matters because they don't get paid unless they're cutting on you, for instance. And that's the economics of modern medicine, which is not health care. Uh, it's uh, basically health scare to get you to accept this idea that every manifestation of a symptom in your body is evidence of a deficiency of a pharmaceutical drug or a surgical procedure. Nothing to do with your diet, lifestyle, or exercise, anything, hydration habits, anything like that. So I would love to be specific, but I would have to say what in your family members thing was manifesting already. And then we say, how do we remedy that without having to resort to synthetic hormone injections of any kind? Yeah, no, that's as good as answer as any. I say with what you've got, obviously, without assessing uh, the patients, as we say, and yeah, speaking of patient, of course, we know they want you to be a patient for life because it's a business center at the end of the day, Tom. Yeah. 
But um, uh, what was I going to say on that? Um, we had s some great guests on, like um, we're talking all different variations of guests. And one in particular that stood out that I really liked was um, Don Lester and David Parker that wrote the book, What Really Makes You Ill. Fantastic book. It took them about 10 years to, to actually uh, to write it. Now, they really mm -hmm. come from the background on, on the cancer scenario itself and all that. And I've taught other people and they say it's slightly twisted. It's not quite like that. What is your, obviously without a massive long-winded answer now, what is, what is your kind of in a nutshell of the cancer itself? Because most people say, obviously, if you're to, they don't even like using the word cure. If you're mm -hmm. to kind of remove it or extract it back from what it is, be it through manifestation yeah. you might have brought in the first place, doctors, hospitals, obviously, are definitely the last place to go. Where do you, some people say, we already have it. We, from the day we're born to the day we're dead, it's there. It's just something that needs to trigger it and set it off. We know mm -hmm. things like food, the air around us, the environment is a huge factor obviously emfs the 5g everything of course at the moment is bringing triggering it further and further down the line what have you come to in your analogy of the whole uh, synopsis on cancer itself well i'll be speaking again at the truth about cancer live event coming up october 22nd through 24th in nashville tennessee thanks to ty and charlene bollinger we've got a great great lineup i uh, hope everybody can be there if not maybe they'll have a virtual version of it or online version i'm not sure yet uh, but i've lectured there many years on the issue of cancer and other things and it is true, Chris, that uh, we all have cancer cells at any point in time. And you could argue that even in infancy, it, it's it's there. But uh, when we have a healthy functioning immune system, the normal way is to, you know, target it, trigger it and, and or, un, you know, let's say untrigger, but basically bind and excrete uh, because our immune system is intact. You know, what happens uh, due to d chronic low, low level deficiencies and or toxicological burdens, more and more cells become, let's say, rogue or cancerous. They they no longer uh, die like because they're no normal life, life cycle of healthy cells and they're replaced with other healthy cells. But when those cells go rogue due to, as I said, chronic low level deficiencies of vitamins, minerals, trace minerals, fats, we can go into any number of those things on top of uh, compounded metabolic wastes that are not being excreted efficiently due to what the compounded toxicolo toxicological burdens of a modern world, pollutants from air, food and water. Now, GMOs and heavy metals, all of that contributes to an inability to excrete efficiently the wastes that then result in further injury to the cells that are healthy, much less those that have gone rogue and the immune system is now unable to uh, sequester, defeat and excrete. So that over time, uh, if we don't know this is going on and we continue to live wrong lifestyles of, of you know, modern agriculture filled with pesticides and herbicides and fungicides and on and on it goes, that our immune system is then weakened to the point where it can no longer protect us. And that's where there may be a secondary immune response to try and sequester a cancer into a tumor like, uh, uh, you know, it walls itself off and the body says, we'll sequester that garbage there. And often when they analyze these tumors, if they pull them out, they're filled with toxic poisons. And, and, and so there's an, a, you know, a rational explanation as to why this would happen because the body has a defense mechanism, it's smart, and while it has the energy to wall it off and keep it there, it's going to do so. Now, a tumor won't kill you unless it impedes some other function, some other organ system. It can be painful, it can be uh, awkward, another thing, but it only really kills you when it, what do you call it, metastasizes. And this often happens through the things like needle biopsies. The medical doctors, bless their hearts, going in and going, let's just see what this is. And they poke it. And then suddenly now you, you spread the cancer and what was sequestered by the body into other areas it transits. Now, due to other mineral deficiencies like silicon, silica, 
the connective tissue is so weak in the body that the cancer utilizing enzyme activity starts chewing through connective tissue much easier and spreading and spreading and spreading. And that's where wholesale breakdowns of organ systems and uh, connective tissue integrity can result in more severe disasters or even the death of the organism we call the physical body. Now, there are also aspects of the mental state, the emotional state, the spiritual state that contribute greatly to the success of overcoming or the demise of the individual suffering a physiological manifestation called cancer. But the idea here is to, uh, I say, recognize that we have a beautiful system designed by God and that cancer cells are a normal part of life itself, but in a normal, healthy body, they never grow to create a problem. It's just part of life. Even before the agricultural revolution, industrial revolution, it was evidence, although rare. Now it's become commonplace and we see children with cancer, right? And I've talked about this over the years. It's like when you see hospitals filled with children with cancer, what do you say? Is it, is it, is it children are living longer than they used to and that's why cancer is rampant in children? It's an absurd statement. But you have to start being absurd to believe that cancer is created by God. But no, it's created by the arrogance and ignorance of man and not knowing how to live according to the principles of life itself. What does the body need? Find out what it needs and give it everything it needs. What does the body need to do? It needs to eliminate waste. Help the body to do that. And of course, find a purpose for being here on, in life. That goes into the other body-mind-spirit connections. That it's not just doing everything perfect physically. And if you have no idea who you are or why you're here, you can be depressed. You can be anxious. You can be angry. And all of those things can manifest physically as well. So even in the midst of doing perfect, I live great, I don't smoke, I eat organic food, and yet you're depressed all the time because of your disconnection from the true source that we, again, began discussing earlier today. Now, as far as cures for cancer, they're abundant, they've always been here. There are hundreds, if not thousands, or unlimited ways to undo. As long as we're breathing, the possibility for recovery exists. But it's not found in the allopathic medical thought form. That paradigm is a war. It's a warfare mentality. It's a triage mentality. And granted, there are times where triage is necessary when you're dealing with a gunshot wound. You're trying to save somebody's life who's going to bleed out. Allopathic medicine is the best on the planet, bar none, to get people from death's door to have them live. Now, once you get them out of that triage crisis, get them out of allopathic medicine thought form because it'll kill them. You know, all the things they did good, now they compound it by trying to apply those same things in inappropriate places, times, and areas, including the vast majority of cancers that are not literally on the death door, right? But oncologists in America uh, are always, you know, when they say, oh, you have cancer, we've got to get you in immediately for surgery. We've got to get you in immediately for, for, for chemo or radiation. And it, there's a, a heavy conflict of economic interest, profit motive, because the moment you step out of their box and you say, I'm going to get another opinion, whether it be from another doctor or a homeopath or naturopath, suddenly you're not in crisis mode anymore. They lost their opportunity to profit off of poisoning you, right? And there's no concept that I can agree with that, you know, has resulted in this uh, belief that we can poison you back to health, which is allopathic medicine. We can poison, I could talk to a fourth, fifth or sixth grader and they'll say, that's stupid. You, you're going to poison me? You're going to give me poison and I'm going to get healthier? It makes no sense. And so uh, we get to the point where when I recognize and, and, and peer-reviewed medical literature around the world has been published, the Lancet, uh, Journal of American Medical Association, New England Journal of Medicine, all pointing to modern medicine as the third leading cause of death. 
And then I point out that they're probably the first because the things they do in their normal course of business causes the first and second leading cause of death, cancer and heart disease, not necessarily in that order. And so we have this idea that's completely wrong about cancer. That, it, you know, if we argue that cells have gone rogue, it isn't because they're mad at you and they're super villains. It's like you're running the machine wrong. You're putting the wrong stuff in. You're not getting the stuff out that needs to get out. Now, there's always somebody will argue, well, that person did everything perfectly, but we know nothing about their mental state, their emotional state, other environmental factors that appear to be invisible, including you guys know, and you've talked about this extensively, the electromagnetic radiation or EMR or EM frequencies and the fields that are so discordant and disrupted to healthy cellular function. And you say, I've eaten it all this. And now you, you're living outside of a cell tower or you're living in an apartment with, you know, 500 Wi-Fi's all the time and you don't know how to remedy that. So uh, if people try to, you know, they'll always say, oh, that's too simplistic, Robert, what you're saying. It's like, no, it's very complicated. It's very complex. But the concepts of recovery are simple. It's removing that which is not supportive of your healthy life and giving everything to your body and mind and spirit that is supportive of your healthy life while you're here. And again, I feel like I'm long-winded today. I apologize, guys. You're asking great questions. No, it's all good. We're definitely enjoying that, and it's all worthwhile. Okay. It's all very much needed. <laughs> good. Thank you. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll switch to this model, obviously, with time constraints. I want to give Steve a, a chance because, uh, yeah, Steve is a powerhouse when it comes to this kind of health stuff. So uh, <laughs> we leave him to last. But um, I just want to go on the actual um, – because I've never heard as much talk about in the last 18 months with well, so many things, not just this thing in particular, but with the hydrogen peroxide, obviously, and the um, the colloidal silver, which has been around and around. But really in the last 18 months, it's become, shall I say, I don't even want to use the word mainstream, but the people that were never talking about it are now talking about it, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And they're all trying to say we should go for the alkalanamon, we don't go for this, and we need to go for this food grade, et cetera, et cetera. Can you put a lot of these things kind of to rest? Some people say, well, if you use the colloidal silver and the hydrogen peroxide together, they're literally like a thousand times it explodes. It's massive. Mm. But some people say the dilution and different things obviously is extremely important. Can you give us a quick couple of minutes on that itself? And obviously expand if you want to. I know that you're smiling. You're like, I go for six hours if you want to. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like I'm struggling today. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm very verbose. And again, I hopefully it's for benefit. Yes. But yeah, it's one of my favorite topics that you bring up because I've been lecturing around the world for many years to doctors and pharmacists and lay audiences on the subject of, of silver and its uh, relationship to human health and animal health and the immune system, et cetera, and regeneration. And of course, it, it aligns itself to some degree with the use of oxygen therapies, hydrogen peroxide in particular. And, and I will just say this, silver, of course, um, if you read The Body Electric by Dr. Robert Becker, that book was the seminal book, my starting point going, oh my gosh, this metal is not a dangerous heavy metal, but a life-sustaining and regenerative metal if used appropriately in the right form at the right level. And so I began to work with what became known as the bioactive silver hydrosol that I've lectured on for many years, which uh, basically isolated in a pure, pure water, just the ion, which is you remove an electron from a silver ion and, and you're, you're left with a positive charge and that has the positive benefit within the body. In other words, the bioactive form of silver is not a chunk of silver, you know, or or a silver bound into a salt or a protein. The reason that those forms of uh, colloidal silver that may have those things in it work is because of varying degrees of ion dissociation. Now we're getting into chemistry constructs here. Hopefully it doesn't go over anybody's head and I'm not meaning to do that. But if we look at the beginning of the use of silver in official modern medicine terms in the late uh, 1890s, the 19th century, 
Carlos Nageli, a researcher, a physician, he was amazing. He found that silver at very low concentrations had oligodynamic properties, which basically meant bioactive properties that didn't require massive doses. Now, he used dilute forms of silver nitrate to drop in the eyes of newborn babies should there be a venereal infection through the birth canal that would result in neonatal blindness. And he found it could stop that from happening. Now, silver nitrate is a very powerful and caustic agent in its full strength form and has been used on the battlefield for a century or more and is used even in modern medicine today to cauterize chemically wounds. If you're a nurse, you know what I'm talking about. In surgeries or battlefield wounds, you put silver nitrate on it, it, it chemically cauterizes a wound. You stop bleeding. So you don't want to put that on sensitive tissue unless it's a battlefield scenario. But utilizing a bioactive form of silver doesn't require causticity, but safety in a bioactive interaction that facilitates healing of tissue, a stimulation of dedifferentiation and redifferentiation, accelerated cell regrowth. This is why silver-based topical drugs are industry standard or in burn centers and wound care hospitals around the world. It's a very thick, pasty substance that is very minimal in bioactivity, yet it's the industry standard or standard of care in medicine. Now, when we're dealing with infectious disease, and this includes cancerous growth, we look to some degree to the electrical uh, activity of the ion. Because when silver ions interact with cancer cells, they immediately destroy cancer cells because cancer cells used to be healthy cells that have gone rogue, that no longer die. But good news is they no longer have antioxidant defense potential or mechanisms like your healthy cells do. Healthy mammalian cells, because you eat clean organic food or you supplement with minerals like selenium, are protected against oxidative stress. That's why people take antioxidants. So here's the controversy and also to some degree the benefit in dealing with very extreme, uh, let's say infectious or cancerous scenarios. Hydrogen peroxide, oxygen is highly, highly active and oxidative. So it works through oxidative stress. Now, chemotherapy, is highly oxidative, so devastatingly oxidative that they play a game of chemotherapeutic chicken on the patient where they say, we're going to put this chemo in because we hope and pray, if they even pray, that it kills the cancer cells because they're more rapidly dividing than your healthy mammalian cells. We hope it kills them faster than it kills your healthy cells. And that's the game of chemo chicken. And in fact, most people lose that battle. More people die of the treatment for cancer because it's so oxidative and damaging to all cells then die of the cancer itself. Now, the good news is, of course, that idea is sound, that if we use oxidative therapies, we can likely kill cancer. And let me add this, bacterial infections, fungal infections, if you believe in viral infections, all of those things are vulnerable to oxidative stress, electrical stress. So silver alone with its positive charge can neutralize directly bacterial infections, fungal infections, and viral activity. But you add the oxidative therapies in, like hydrogen peroxide, to, to your point, it supercharges and can be like an overwhelming, I almost say smart bomb, as long as your healthy cells are adequately protected via the mineral supplementation I talk about, wrote about, and unlock the power to heal. Without those minerals, then we are vulnerable. Our healthy cells are no longer healthy, and they're vulnerable to be destroyed and damaged. So my caveat for hydrogen peroxide or oxidative therapies is obviously, yes, the right dilution, but also recognizing that 
oxidative therapies can be damaging too in patients that are not sufficiently mineralized to protect their healthy cells, much like the danger from chemo, maybe not as extreme, but I put some caution out there for utilizing hydrogen peroxide. And I've worked with physicians that have even gone off label with the bioactive silver hydrosol through intravenous therapies for chronic low level, but serious infections like Lyme disease and chronic fatigue issues. But they'll also sometimes utilize the hydrogen peroxide in conjunction with, not at the same moment, but they would utilize the silver and then follow up with the hydrogen peroxide. And it seemed to reinitialize the spent silver. The silver that was used suddenly becomes active again. So you get double or triple the bang for your buck, so to speak. So there are nuances to the way to do that, that we don't have time to go into. And I know many physicians out there, if they're listening, may have questions about that. I love talking about this as you know, I don't actually, this is horrible for me. You see, it was like pulling teeth for me to talk about this stuff, right? <laughs> but <laughs> sure was, yeah. I know I, I get lost in this and I'm sorry, I'm a little bit of a nerd egghead on this subject. So I'm going to pause right now because you might have, hey, please re-explain or, or, or take a different tact or, 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 suppose, or turn here. No, no, that, that is a good answer in itself. But I suppose even to, to simplify it down more for the average layman and stuff, um, the, the average job public, shall we say, um, should you be taking it every day? The quantities mm -hmm. depend. You know, is there a suppose right. like you've like you've touched on as well? Some people say you can get the dangerous levels. There's a guy I know, right? And he takes the 45 group grade hydrogen peroxide and mm -hmm. obviously takes it with collodial silver. He's done it for years right. and years and years. And he's he's actually like he's not a physician or a doctor and that he knows his stuff for years and years, but he's also yeah. given the people that have come to him with massive wounds down the side of their legs that couldn't it's, they're there for like 12 months or more and they, mm -hmm. you would go back to the doctor in the hospital they just change the wound every bloody time but it never actually seemed to heal a seep and right. pussing all the time he's taught me he's people that were at stage four cancer mm -hmm. and he's just done them up on this within days he said the, the turnaround is absolutely huge he's witnessed this himself yeah. he says, so he is huge huge fit and that i said it's other people are 45 grand they're like whoa that is serious levels of uh of uh stuff he's actually putting in like that any advice in that kind of end of things for, say, for well everybody. yeah yeah you, you want to see a, a legitimate track record if this guy has it indeed uh i don't argue with that because clinically speaking that's that's a reality that's hard to deny unless he's making it up and i again i don't have any reason to believe that uh but yes the risks are real in terms of oxidative therapies that you have to be sure that you can counter that with uh you know support for the cells in their antioxidant defense mechanisms uh in many cases the silver alone is sufficient and it has less of a, a damage or actually none to healthy mammalian tissue. And in cancer studies where they tested, you know, nanoparticles of silver, for instance, against cancer compared to other forms of chemo, one of the, my favorite studies, and I used to bring this up, we talked about it on the air with my dearly departed friend, one of the smartest medical doctors I've ever known, Dr. Nicholas Gonzalez, uh, who's written extensively on cancer. Uh, we talked about this one uh, analysis that went into the peer-reviewed medical literature using cisplatin, which is a platinum-based chemo. Interesting, another metal, platinum. And they tested it against the silver. And they were equally efficient at killing cancer cells, but what was different was the cisplatin was devastating to surrounding mammalian healthy tissue. And that's the risk we have with oxidative therapies. And maybe this guy that's getting success is able to mitigate that through other means that are not discussed here in terms of pro, uh, let's say, uh, uh, rebuilding and repairing through mineral supplementation in a very extensive and appropriate way. Uh, and outpacing, again, the potential damage to even healthy cells through oxidative therapies. So if need be, yes, it can be a great accelerator and lifesaver in, in certainly in infectious situations where silver and, and hydrogen peroxide can be 100% successful. All I say in terms of a caveat is if you don't know what you're doing, don't jump to the most potent uh, percentage 
of uh, hydrogen peroxide because it can be damaging to cells that you don't want to be damaged. So work with someone who has a proven track record, or if you're a physician that wants to learn about how it's done, you know, study with them. This is the kind of stuff Dr. Nick Gonzalez was talking about uh, in terms of what he was trying to teach other physicians. It's not enough to read about it theoretically, but put it into practice and see that it works as well. And then we can achieve tremendous success in helping people heal that are given up for dead in, in traditional medical circles. Robert, brilliant. Thank you so much. I know we could stay yakking for another bit, but um, I want to let Steve in here. And um, yeah, cheers for your answer on that. Thanks very much. Wow. That was Robert, man. I like, I could just listen to you all day. So to continue in this vein, because this is a vein I wanted to get into. Um, I know I've heard you lecture and say, like, that's why you don't, you know, making your own colloidal silver water. You know, it's you don't know how big the silver particles are. You don't really know what the parts per million is with your system or whatever you use. You sort of know exactly and the dosing's there. So I want to get into that a little bit because I make my own colloidal silver water using a rice machine and it's nanoparticle. And, uh, you know, it's really high quality, but it's so it's so my the particles are so fine that if you put a parts per million thing in, it doesn't even read anything. But I know I know that this works because I, I really I, I've used it. I've had things in the back of my throat. I think I had a covid thing and it killed it like right away. It was in my nose and in the back of the throat. And I had to I had to drink it. I didn't take it as exactly as your dosage. So where I want to go with this is um, if, if you're using I, I understand that um, hydrogen peroxide, food grade hydrogen peroxide is not only you need to know what you're doing. It can burn your skin. It could be caustic. It can react with metals. Is that true? And so, like, can you use it? You don't want to put hydrogen peroxide food grade in colloidal silver water. You want to put it in distilled water, I would think. But can you, you were saying you can use it not at the same time, but you can use it on the same day. Because I thought yeah. my brother has cancer. I'm always helping people with cancer. Um, and he's on my protocol. But I was, I thought that I can't. We're, and we all the things we did, he didn't want to do the colloidal silver. He didn't want to make it. So, and then I saw your lecture today, and I'm like, oh my god! I'm like ringing my brother. I'm like, so long story short, uh, you know, if you're giving someone colloidal silver water, and then you're using uh, you know hydrogen food grade hydrogen peroxide drops, mm -hmm. will that could that react with the colloidal silver in the body? Well, I would say in a positive way, not in a negative way. If you mix them together, you might reduce some of the, the, the functional efficacy of the silver. I mean, it's not going to totally neutralize it, but the ideal is to get the most out of every drop. It's called the law of economy. And so when working with physicians around the world on this issue, we found that to some degree there was evidence of a silver and then follow on with hydrogen peroxide therapy could, as I said, reinitialize the spent silver because the active form of silver is active a very short period of time in the body. It starts excreting within three to six hours. Peak excretion is occurring. And within 24 hours, it should be, re be removed. Now, if you are, let's say, manufacturing at home in un, you know undesirable uh, uh, environment that creates large agglomerations, neutral particles, and all these uh, uh, compounds, there may be a difficult of excretion. But even that might still work and be helpful because a small percentage of ion dissociates from those you know, uh, compounds, for instance. So that's why I say even mm -hmm. the, not the greatest silver in the world can still work for people. The risk long term is if you don't know how much you're getting, could it uh, bioaccumulate? Could you have discoloration of the skin? But it's not functional. It doesn't create dysfunction. That's the beauty of silver. It's like of all the things that are toxic, if you go to toxic levels of silver, you don't die. You turn mm -hmm. blue. 
but you never get yeah. the flu. And that's the irony, you know, but you don't have yeah, to I know that I drank the flu. My yeah. uh, colloidal silver water bottle and my water bottle are the same. And one day I drank a whole bottle of colloidal silver. So, and I yeah. lived. I was- yeah. And, and, you know, arguably you could reduce the microbiome content in the gut if you deliver it yeah. in a bioactive form, but there's no negative impact on gut microbiome biodiversity. So you're leaving the gut healthier than when it arrives so you can replenish easily. So again, you look well, at the downside. And that's huge because what I heard today, which excited me so much, is you're saying the silver kills the cancer cells, not the healthy cells. Correct. As long as there is an onboard antioxidant defense mechanism in your healthy cells, which it would basically, uh, then yeah. yeah, there's no issue there. Uh, you have uh, less concern of the oxidative potential of silver than even of oxygen itself, the hydrogen peroxide, for instance. So it's safer than. Uh, but as I said, for the point of our discussion here, can we use both? Yes. I recommend not at the same moment, but one and then the other. Mm-hmm. And then it seems to benefit the initial silver introduction. Now, in terms of your homemade, rife-made silver, to do particle characterization under electron microscope would be fascinating to see what you're producing. This is yeah, not an I've... argument other than to say, hey, I'm fascinated in the science of you know what you're producing to see it, not just have great benefit, which you are. And I don't argue that. But for those that can't make it any, you know, and I always said, unless the zombie apocalypse is here, I'm not promoting making it yourself because you don't know for the most part what the quality is. And long term, you could discolor yourself. It's not an instant thing, but it could happen. But But So let's get into based on that, because I don't I know I've drank a lot of it and I'm fine. I didn't turn blue. And um, but I don't recommend that. And, you know, so. While we're on dosing and 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 um, and food grade hydrogen peroxide and the benefits of um, you know bioactive hydrocell uh, silver mm-hmm. um, and you know again this is we're just having a conversation if you're crazy enough to talk to a doctor then please do so um, <laughs> uh, but your therapy I noticed in one of your lectures you said with this with the bioactive hydrosol mm-hmm. silver. Take, you know, take one to two tablespoons of bioactive silver hydrosol with the same amount of pure aloe liquid three times a day for two weeks. Now, what if someone has is, you know, hasn't had any chemo, has has cancer, but it's a PSA of 10. My brother's prostrate is still in, but he's got the he's got the chips and he may do the radiation with the cyber knife. Um, but, he, you know, he, uh, long story short, what would the dosing be? If you were going to combine food grade hydrogen peroxide and you and and the hydrocell, would you would you would it be more than two tablespoons three times a day with the aloe, as long as you're well, taking the selenium and stuff and the, the right. minerals? Yeah, the description of that protocol is specific to healing the gut, the lining, the endothelial or epithelial lining of the gut, uh, more than anything else, because that's the seat of our immune system, you know, the okay. microbiome. So that's going to help indirectly the prostate. Uh, silver is going to be used systemically through oral absorption mucosally primarily into the lymphatic system and bloodstream where eventually it will be bound in the liver during phase two conjugation pathways and then excreted by the colon. So arguably there'd be very little direct interaction with the prostate through oral consumption of silver, much less hydrogen peroxide. Some physicians have argued uh, rectal installation may be more appropriate because it's, you know, closer to the point of foci, for instance. Uh, And that, that makes sense to me. But as I said, with prostate issues and even cancers, the reality of prostate cancer is that it's such a slow moving cancer that you will, if you did nothing for the most part, you would die of something else 20, 30 years from now. And so the aggressive attacking the prostate by allopathic medicine is, is highly irresponsible in addition to other irresponsible things that they do. 
But course. if you get the selenium in you, and there are plenty of herbs, uh, whether they be ancient Chinese type medicinal herbs or Ayurvedic herbs or uh, sabal, which is homeopathic, the saw palmetto. Uh, there are pygium, with, uh, which is an African herb. There's so much we can do. But honestly, if we don't clean up our act, if these men do not go organic, you know, they're, they're working against themselves and their best self-interest. And they don't know that because no doctor is telling them to eat clean, organic food. It's just mm. saying, here, let's radiate your prostate. Let's remove your prostate as if the prostate just decided to rebel in and of itself. And it's it's an, an evil, uh, it, you know, interpreter of what it once was. It's just mm -hmm. it's just a nonsense viewpoint. Yeah, it's barbarism. But it's barbaric. It is. It is absolutely as, as much as it is for women to be subjected to removal of body parts. This is the, the revenge for women doctors on men. So how does the, if, if the oral t intake of bioactive hydrosol silver yeah. doesn't get to the prostate, does it, can it help prostate? Yes. And how would you take it? Yeah, because oral. And, uh, how, and how much, sorry, how oral. much would you take? Cause I'm thinking about my brother who I'm actually currently handling. Yeah. So we're dealing with chronic uh, immune challenges like this. Then it would be a teaspoon of 5 ml dose sublingual before swallowing five times daily for a prolonged period. I would reassess every eight weeks. Why? Because there is a systemic immune modulation benefit. It's not all about point of foci delivery with silver. Silver does facilitate powerful immune responses and strengthens the immune response. So they're the side benefits of daily consumption of the bioactive form, you know, that I talk about, mm. uh, you know, and you're, your issue with the scoloration, if indeed it's lower than a PPM meter can can even detect, chances are you're not taking quote unquote toxic amounts of silver and your likelihood of turning blue over time is minimal, but it can happen. And when it happens, it tends to be irreversible. It suddenly happens, it comes on and you just don't know it. Uh, but that's why it's important to know the quantities. And those quantities are known. They were established by the World Health Organization and the, and the, and the US EPA in terms of daily ingestion of silver at 350 micrograms. It's a normal ingestion mode. We get it from human breast milk and cow milk and goat milk. And silver is a normal constituent of our diet. And not to exceed 980 micrograms on a daily basis, certainly for a prolonged period of time, but even short bursts like that. And so we know the quantities that result in the lowest observed adverse event levels. But it's still, it takes a long time. And again, the good news is silver's not killing anybody. But mm. there are many things that can, even in the natural world, that are far more toxic at lower quantities than silver is at high quantities, which is not toxic. Wow. So that, so essentially this uh, bioactive hydrosol plus the minerals, you know, I, I have a couple of sayings because I, I do that. I've been studying holistic um, healing for a long time and I mm -hmm. help people with cancer all the time. Uh, you know, I always say like, okay, you have cancer. If you want to live, don't be anywhere near a hospital or a doctor. And they go, what? You know? And so, uh, yeah. and I also say the only thing you need to beat cancer is your immune system. Um, so this, this bioactive hydrosol silver mm -hmm. for someone with prostate cancer, it would be a good add on to, to, you know, bioimmunity that, you know, to, mm -hmm. to help enhance the immune system. And, and, um, and in that sense, it, it could have a big effect. For any cancer therapy, I look at it as an adjunct. Some people say, oh, it's the cure for cancer. Well, I mean, you could argue that because of the cell uh, studies on silver and cancer. Yes, it destroys cancer cells. I know that. We know that. But to do that in a vacuum is irresponsible because cancer is uh, multifactorial in terms of how it manifests. And taking silver alone doesn't address the many reasons why cancer is there. It is sort of an allopathic light. And I say this 
uh, I hate saying that because it's not allopathic in, the, in that same sense because it's also immunomodulatory. But the idea that we have to kill cancer cells is still embedded in that concept. But mm. I would not want to be without silver as an adjunct in support of overall immune recovery. You follow me? Even though gotcha. it does have direct interaction and benefit against cancer cells, it also has the side benefit of modulating immune response. And that's an important part of any cancer recovery therapy. Yeah, that's awesome. And then uh, we could get on. I'm I'm big into intravenous vitamin C and stuff. Um, all right. Well, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna incorporate that with my brother. Um, so you know I don't want to change the subject, but I couldn't help notice in one of your lectures you said uh, the most dangerous thing in the world that any person can have is really good health care, and I love that because. It, it's disturbing, but I'm still suffering from a doctor that took advantage of my insurance and didn't listen to me and did six surgeries on my nose in one wow. and just destroyed me. And uh, when I told him I've had two surgeries and I don't want anything invasive and I signed some documents thinking he's listening to me and he just he just went away, drilled my skull and <sighs> and all this. And. You know, the point here is that people trust the government and they trust that white coat and that white coat does not give a shit about you. I mean, yeah. I hate to say it, but my point is he didn't listen to me and I'm still dealing with these things. So he milked my insurance and $20,000 later, I didn't even need an operation. And I when you said that in your lecture, it just it just it just hit a hit a chord. Yeah. And, and the nuanced version of what you said is the most dangerous thing you can have in America is really good medical insurance because people you know when you say healthcare they perceive it's actually health and there's care there it's not yeah, it's, sick disease, care. it's disease management it's disease creation machinery called healthcare so medical insurance what does it do it makes sure those that you go seek out in the allopathic world are paid not necessarily by you but through premiums you put out or collective premiums to do the things that you experienced that you didn't need so health insurance or medical insurance gets you diagnosed with all of these invasive tests for diseases you don't have to take drugs you don't need to give you diseases you didn't have that now you do have due to their toxicological burdens that they've added to your body which is why i say acknowledge modern medicine is the third leading cause of death in the western world but it creates the first and second the vast majority of heart disease and cancer caused by what medical doctors do or neglect to tell you to do to prevent them from happening yeah well, a friend of mine, um, his partner got cancer and and he called me because he knows I'm kind of into this. And he said, well, I, dude, I'm, I got her into Sloan, Kettering. And I'm like, oh, I go, now you're in trouble. And he goes, what do you mean? So I was like, you know, I was sort of saying it was basically along those lines that, you know, that's now you're sort of locked into a system that is is not really there to, to you know, a real, real sort of machine machinery that's tough to get out of. And, you know, you know what the outcome, you can imagine what the outcome was. But um, in terms of reversing disease, is your protocol typically the, the mineral aspect is something I want to get into. And there's a thing called ORMES or O-R-M-E-S. Have you heard of that? Uh, or um, anyway, the mineral aspect is what? It's, it's things that that our gut biome gets destroyed by carbohydrates and and, and gluten and stuff like that. And then we don't have the proper bacteria and the minerals can replace the bacteria. Is it something like that? 
Uh, that we I'm need. not familiar with the O-R-M-E-S. I've heard of Ormus, but I, I don't know what we're Ormus, it's to. Ormus. Yeah. Uh, but in, ter- in terms of utilization of minerals, we have to be able to get them in. And of course, that relies on a functioning digestive system with a healthy microbiome because it's part of the breakdown process. You, you break complex forms of foods down through digestion, and then they ma- are made available to pass through normal barriers that are intact when there's healthy uh, epithelial lining, uh, which is destroyed by not so much gluten as what's in gluten today, if it's been treated with glyphosate, for instance, mm. or hybridized to such a high degree, much higher than it would normally occur in food throughout the history of humanity eating things with gluten. So, uh, you know, the, the minerals are key because the functioning metabolism of every cell depends on those minerals. And selenium, I keep coming back to in terms of cancer, but it's not exclusive to that. You've heard if you, I don't know where you're seeing all my lectures. Now, no one's going to want to come see my lectures. I can watch them all online. This is awesome. <laughs> they, the, the key minerals, I've said the three, and this is not an exhaustive list, just for the key points of understanding what we're dealing with. Selenium, the most protective anti-cancer mineral on the planet. For all cells, it's, it's critical for production, production of uh, glutathione, cor- conversion of glutathione peroxidase, which is the active form. But not, not, not like the selenium you buy at the chemist, right? A, a selenium, there's a different selenium. And what is it? Well, yeah, the selenium I tend to utilize is found in food. It's how food, pro- pro- you know, provides it. You know, as, as plants assimilate minerals from the soil or animals eat those plants, it's in a form that the body can recognize and utilize fully. Unfortunately, in the arrogance of man, we start trying to pretend we're nature or trick nature by doing like amino acid chelates, right? Uh, sodium selenite, uh, different forms of selenium that are very inefficient in terms of absorption and utilization. And so I tend to defer to 100% organic or whole food sources. If you can't get it from your food enough, which I don't believe we can, then to supplement from those uh, rare manufacturers that are producing it right in a food matrix and not just saying, hey, I've got a little bit of food at the base and then I added the synthetic stuff at the last second and then we're calling it food. Uh, this is important. So selenium, I've mentioned many times today. Uh, chromium, which we've been struggling with because the manufacturer of the selenium we like discontinued it. And so we're just now researching and we may have found a, a replacement for 100% whole food chromium, which is critical because Cancer is an obligate glucose metabolizer. It grabs all sugars, simple carbohydrate. It just feeds the cancer, right? Without chromium, we can't deliver sugar into and out of the cells that are healthy and need them safely, storage and removal. And that chromium is like the dock worker at, you know, when the truck pulls up, it needs the dock workers to offload the truck. That's insulin. The truck is insulin. Without Mm. chromium, they call it insulin resistance. It's no, it's just the dock workers are on strike. They're no longer there. Chromium is it is, is it chromium uh, picolinate? Pro, is no, that the chromium, same thing? See, chromium picolinate is like the synthetic uh, idea of man's arrogance. It says, "Hey, let's find the substance in metabolism called picolinic acid, which happens to be a cellular toxic waste product. In other words, oh. a product of of metabolism of cells. They eliminate picolinic acid. It's like cellular poop. And they go, "Hey, let's bind some uh, chromium to cellular poop and give it back to the body." Does that make sense to anybody here? It shouldn't. It makes but, as much but, sense as lockdown, social distancing, and uh, muzzles. Yeah. And then they, they get a patent on it, and they get chromium picolinate. Oh, man, suddenly you hear about it. It's like, no, that's a garbage form of chromium. Chromium, uh, uh, there's poly, uh, chromium polynicotinate, chromium chloride. These are very inefficient forms of utilization, so See. you'll get this much benefit. So 100% whole food, glucose tolerance factor type chromium makes all the difference in the world. And then the third thing I think I may have mentioned, silica or silicon for connective tissue integrity. 
Mm-hmm. Now, those three concepts are sound at the base level, however you apply them, but to get the right forms of these things, that's, you know, what I wrote about and Unlock the Power to Heal, and I mm-hmm. answer questions on my website. You know, my show begins in about 36 minutes from now, um, okay. and, and, you know, it, this is what we try to educate on all of the time so we can succeed where others have marginally succeeded or failed, not because the concepts aren't sound, but the application of the concepts are wrong by going synthetic again. Even vitamin yeah. C, I call vitamin C therapy, ascorbic acid has measurable benefits. I don't dispute it. Uh, intravenous can be life-saving, but it's also oxidative therapy. Yes. But it's not the same as how does vitamin C exist in nature, even though we can refine it down to, oh, it's ascorbic acid. And I've had discussions with people and I'm not, I don't like to get in these arguments, but it's not the same thing as what C is, which is a very complex set of molecules all bound and compliant. You know, it's not just ascorbic acid in nature, even though it's refined into that form, often from GMO sugar <laughs> by pharmaceutical companies. Again, I'm not denigrating people that do it. It can be life-saving, but it's not yeah. the same thing. Well, you can't, you can't get it anyway. So there's really yeah. no point. I mean, it's difficult. Uh, wow. The time's going. I, so I did a cleanse in Thailand and uh, in Koh Samui. It's sort of like the, um, colon cleansing capital of the planet. And um, <laughs> it's quite interesting. It's, you know, it, it, the band there have stage four cancer. They obviously, he went through all the nonsense with the medical industry and, and then they told him to get his house in order. And he came across this book, uh, the uh, Dr. Bernard Jensen's uh, Better Guide to Bowel Care. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you know, you talk about gut biome being destroyed, uh, people not eliminating. And you say, you say one of the first things you should ask your doctor is do you, you know, how often do you have a bowel movement? And if, and if he doesn't say at least once a day, he's, you know, he's a goner because yeah. he's not going to be healthy. Disqualify right? I him right there. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, most doctors I'm always interacting with look like they're about to die, but um, where I'm, where I'm going with this is the cleanse. I felt completely rejuvenating and there's colonics. Do colonics get rid of fecal matter? Do they get, do they get impacted fecal matter out? And is that the area you need to get it out of? Or there's other areas of the, of the small intestine where it's, you just mm-hmm. can't get it out. My point is, how do you get it out? Yeah. Well, and, and that's a great question. In, in terms of colonic therapy, yes, you're dealing with the colorectal region, which is the latter part of the alimentary canal. And you're not, deli- there are some things called high colonics that may go further up the bowel, but they're not getting into the small intestine. So uh, other cleanses, you know, include a lot, include the utilization of, of things that would cause adsorption, AD, not AB, absor- adsorption uh, with, with, you know, clay, different clay minerals, things like that. And also uh, different fibrous uh, uh, supplements or uh, a basic diet with, you know, fiber can help move things through. And we come back to the silver aloe protocol, the silver ions in that protocol can also penetrate biofilms, which is a big problem, you know, where these bacterial colonies will line the, 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 the uh, epithelium and then prevent absorption. So you end up with malabsorption. So there are many different techniques to help with that. I'm not saying mine is the only one. I just happen to believe through experience that mine, and it's not mine per se, I've worked with many doctors over the years to develop it, is the most rapid route of correction of what's going on in the, the throughout the GI tract, particularly small intestine, but large intestine and colon. And you can even do silver installations. We talked about rectally to accelerate tissue healing of epithelial tissue that have been damaged due, you know, whether it be cancer or ulcerations to other, other issues, uh, if they identify that. And it can be caused by colonoscopy. Believe me, colonoscopy is dangerous. How often they perforate colons, you don't even want to know. 
Uh, so we wow. got to heal tissue and silver plays a role. Now, the end of does this, this month- or, Does or, the silver help get rid of the mucoid plaque? Well, yeah, because the ions can disrupt the things that hold that plaque together, often these bacterial wow. colonizations. So would that uh, be just taking, would that be just ingesting the, the bioactive hydrosol silver orally? No, with the aloe. That drives it past the stomach into the gut, or else you're not getting bioactivity past Would you want to take psyllium husk with it and bentonite clay, or you don't need to? Well, that would be a separate part of a protocol, not at the same moment, right? Because oh, they each have their unique attributes and why you're utilizing them, and they all can be complementary, just not all at the same time, okay? Now, as I was mentioning, about to be released to the world, the same manufacturer of the Sovereign Silver and the Argentin 23 are about to release the Sovereign Copper to the world, finally, many years of R&D, to get a bioactive copper hydrosol uh, made available. And this allows for copper one and copper two, the forms that are utilized in, in a myriad of pathways, the Cooper enzyme pathways, instantly because of malabsorption and other issues, we're, we're having severe copper deficiencies. Taking the wrong form of copper can become toxic much more than us, the wrong form of silver. So we got to be careful. But this is going to be another leap in the regenerative capacity, antifungal, antiparasitic capacity, and again, cuproenzyme pathway support uh, beyond anything that we've had available thus far. And that's, again, about to be released, hopefully by the end of this month, but we're almost there. So it might be early October before we can get a hold of it. And I'm very excited about what that means for accelerated healing beyond the, all the works that I've done thus far. We're, we're taking it to the next level. Wow. You should, uh, this is fantastic. I'm really going to get into your stuff even further. And um, you should, maybe I'll connect with you, but the Rife machine I have has cost literally $100. 100 I mean, all the attachments cost more, but you you could make it and you could, if you have a way to analyze it, I'd be interested to know because I'm convinced this is just in crazy good nano, nano colloidal silver water from this very simple Rife machine that's run by software on the, um, on the, uh, on yeah, the computer. It, it, it sounds like, again, you're doing it in, in, a, in an energetic way, which is a little different. Uh, and I don't discount it because the results are the results. Uh, but it, yeah. it, isn't, it isn't the same thing. We might have to have a new designation for it. But certainly analysis under electron microscope would show particle characterization. Or is it a homeopathic form that's less par particulate at all, you know, and less material? I don't mm. know. I'd be fascinated okay. to learn about it as well. Okay. The colloidal copper is interesting, and I know there's colloidal gold, so that's really fantastic. I mean, this is just really important information for people to know. So I thank you for your time, and I could go on and on, but I'll pass you to Grace because we've been on for an hour and a half already. Grace, how's it going? Well, thank you. Thank you, everyone. And I, I too, look forward to that colloidal copper because Right now, we're using the Argentine colloidal silver as well. I do have the protocol of the aloe and the, and the colloidal silver for gut, and it's very helpful even for Lyme disease. Yes. So perfect. Beautiful. And so tell, tell everyone where they can listen to you because soon you'll have your show, and then what other, other information you want to share. Sure. Well, I'm on the air two hours a day, six days a week. Uh, you know, my, my Sunday show is syndicated on radio still, but radio has become less important over the years because we, you know, reach everybody via video and audio and even podcast sites, even though I've been banned on YouTube and Spotify, there's still many other sites that we have access to. But if you come to robertscottbell.com or robertscottbell.com slash listen, when I'm live on the air, three to five Eastern time U.S., uh, or a little bit longer than that, if you listen or watch on my site, we actually do a little bit of bonus time after because we're also rebroadcast on UK health radio and podcast sites that just pick up the first two hours. 
Uh, but there's a live chat room. There's lovely interaction. We've got a great community of people that are having a great time supporting one another. And, uh, you know, you could sign up for email alerts. That way we stay connected. But by all means, it's important because there are a lot of attempts to suppress our information, as you know. And um, one of our super fans, uh, Kevin Tuttle, has got uh, fans of RSB show on Telegram, for those that use that Telegram. I don't, Super Don, my producer and I don't, we don't have time to do all of these things. So it, it really <laughs> falls on the community to help and they're amazing. Uh, so that's another option to interact. And I've got upcoming events page. I'm going to be in Wisconsin outside of Madison on the 30th of this month for a lecture presentation, then the Health Freedom Expo in the Chicago area, October 2nd and 3rd, and then October 22nd through 24th in Nashville, Tennessee for the Truth About Cancer Live event. And just stay in touch with me on my website and you'll always know where we're going to be. And you have to tell me now also how I can tell my listeners how to listen and see this later and other things you guys are doing. This is so amazing. Well, we were going, we're going to publish this in uh, uh, Beat Shoot on my account, but then Roy and all the rest of us will do it also in different accounts and in Rumble. And I believe I can upload now in, I'm, I'm a little off from the censorship in YouTube, so I think I can put it up already. And so, and, and all the Spotify, Anchor, so just watch out for that Quantum Nurse, Robert Scott Bell, The Power to Heal is Yours, and then from Roy and all of us, okay? And thank you so much, and we hope to support you more in the future, and we will surely reach out again for the next time, because I think we cannot stop doing things like this. No, we can't. Grace, thank mm -hmm. you for what you're doing, and, and, and you guys, Ray, Chris, I'm sorry. And what we, Steve, yes, you guys are amazing. And, and I would love to stay in touch with you, maybe get you on my show one day to hear more about your journeys, because it's important oh, wow. that we, we tell our stories. That's how mm -hmm. we are going to get over this. Uh, and, and Roy, you're in, you're, you're in Ireland, did you say? Um, I'm Irish, but I live in Poland now. Ireland and Poland. Okay. All right. So, so I'm so confused by this. I don't know how I even made it through uh, <laughs> off the crazy trip I was just on. So please, uh, Grace, make sure we're all in touch. And, uh, and my producer is super Don. And, and if we can coordinate, he helps me because I can't do it all myself. And then yeah. let us know when this airs and where it airs and I can send it yes. out to my group. And thank you all for sharing the show that I do because we don't have uh, public relations other than the kindness of so-called strangers that are no longer strangers. You guys, thank you. Yes. Okay. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks a lot, Robert. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you right. so much. You guys. Yeah. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you to all the viewers. Thank you for your support. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.